Well, we're in uh, Luke's gospel and working through the head, hands, and heart of Jesus. And we're in Luke chapter 6, and this is just an amazing section. I know I built it up way too much last week on how, go- how good my sermon is going to be, but Lord, Lord, help! Okay, uh, here we go. I, uh, I don't like McDonald's all that much, but I found myself in the McDonald's drive through line uh, time and again because Becky likes Diet Coke, and, uh, and I like Becky, okay? <laughs> And, and she, she, she likes McDonald's Diet Coke the best. She thinks they've got a process that just makes it better than Diet Coke anywhere else. Okay, so there are two lines coming into McDonald's, right? Two places to order. And then the two lines turn into one line. Well, how do you know which one goes first? Like which line? Well, it's easy. The first one to order and pull up goes ahead, and the lines merge left, right, left, right, left, right. This is the way the world works. This is the universal law. I think it was mandated by God along with the Ten Commandments, you know? I mean, everyone in the world knows it. But I'm in the left lane, and the guy on the right lane out of turn follows the guy ahead of him. Wouldn't you know, this guy sticks his bumper right into the bumper of the guy ahead, so tight that it looks like they are attached. Certainly no way to break that up. I don't know how you would react or if you've been in that experience or if you've had that in the McDonald's line or some other line like it, but at this point, I am thinking I am being treated unfairly. And I'm in a stupid line with stupid people at a stupid restaurant for a stupid Diet Coke all for my stupendous wife. Now, my question is, when we're offended, we say something like, well, that's just not fair. We want justice. The other party has taken something from me. They owe me. And I can't let it go until they pay me back. They need to repent, or they need to... Make an apology. They need to say something, or they need to get out of that line. They don't treat me like I deserve to be treated, like I see myself being treated. And this offense. And then so often it happens again. And maybe again. And in our close relationships, so often, we can't even keep tabs. Of course, if we've been on social media or 
watch political commercials over the last month or two, we live in a world where the offense flows all the time, everywhere, just seems to be nuts. You know, and if we're listening to Jesus, here's the thing, it shouldn't surprise us, even though it always does. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus himself says, he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. Then he says, but woe to him through whom they come. The trap of offense, that's what Jesus calls it in verse Luke 17, 1. It's bound to come. It's a, it's a Greek word, scandalon. Sometimes in the New Testament, it, it's used of Jesus. He's the offensive one. He's the stumbling block. Like the cross of Christ can be a stumbling block to us. But, but, but so often, others are stumbling blocks. And the world, the word means like a bait that triggers a trap to close when an animal touches it. So I got, I got my trap. I got my trap right here. And we'll see if I can set it up. I got to get this just adjusted here. I got a knot in my trap right here in my string for my trap. But I want you to think about how the enemy, Scripture, the evil one, Scripture in 2 Timothy calls him the deceiver. Deceiver attempts to trap us again and again. And I don't know about you, but I am so easily trapped. Trapped like an animal that is caged in that box. In by being offended by others. And you see, the real problem is not our partner, though we often think it is, or our parent, or our child, or a coworker, or our social media friends. The real enemy, the master trapper, the evil one, snares us. And someone described him as basically a one-trick pony. Because he really doesn't have a lot of creativity in how he goes about his business of trapping. He is simply trying to get at your identity. To cause you to forget who you are to forget who you belong to. Ashley Woodridge said it this way, of all the ways Satan can destroy you, the trap of offense 
may be the most hidden weapon. We're, ta- we're tempted to take offense and let it settle and to stay in the trap and get stuck in there. Maybe even just, we just carry the trap with us sometimes, you know. Can you imagine it kind of latching on and we'll just carry it around? Anybody falling into the trap while driving? In your family? In your work relationships? Someone says something, someone emails something, someone texts something, someone does something, and our relationship with that person, with that other, is suddenly, if we're not carefully, continuously shaped by the offense. We cry, I feel offended, we're hurt, we feel anger, we feel resentful, we feel wounded, we feel used, we feel mistreated, and if I allow it to stay around, the Bible calls it something else, it turns into the root of bitterness, and the root of bitterness has its own set of emotions with contempt and disdain that begin to seep in, we are trapped like a wild animal. Now, Let's pivot for just a minute. If avoiding every offense is impossible, let me also say that living offended is your choice. See, I want to I believe that we actually have capacity and potential as human beings to have some choices We're empowered by God on how we're going to live and how we're going to relate. In this sermon in Luke 6, Jesus doesn't address the enemy, and he doesn't say much to the offenders. It seems to me that we spend an enormous amount of time preoccupied with commentary and thought and activity toward the offenders. But that's not where Jesus focuses. He talks to those like us who easily carry offense. And he speaks directly to our hurt and to our sense of debt. To us when we feel owed. Sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. And and this relationship will not be right until the debt is paid. And uh, we're not going to do this slide since we read the scripture a little bit earlier. But we can go on to the very next point there. But Jesus' words in this text. And I heard you chuckling as we read Eugene Peterson's version from the message of this section of Scripture. And, 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 and thank you, Keaton, in your prayer this morning for, for, for mentioning this section, because I think we need to be reading. This is the heart. This section in Luke 6 is at the heart of who God's people are called to be. 
And in fact, Jesus' words, one could say, are just flat out outrageous. They're needed, but they're outrageous. But I invite you into this way of life because even though this is not our natural way, what we see in this text is not what we learned from family, at least I didn't, not what we learned at school, probably not even what we've learned at church to a great degree. Hasn't always been the emphasis. Jesus speaks to those who come to hear a new way of life. And he just, as he's laying this out to the people, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. A new way of relating. A new way to consider when you've been offended. And I want to call it a life of faith consciousness. In other words, faith is much, it's, it, it includes trusting in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's the crux. That is the centerpiece. But out of that, there is this, this wider way that we, are need to, we need to look and walk in the world that considers that our faith is being considered in all we say and do. And it, in, it, in this faith awareness or this God awareness, we rise above and we counter the offenses that we're carrying. I think if I had to summarize this section in Luke 6, it would be this. Live free from the trap of offense. Why? Your life is too short. Your father is too generous. And his calling is too bold. These offenses must not keep your life trapped. And so what we have to do is somehow to cover this gap right here. Cover the gap or close the gap Because the kingdom that Jesus lived and preached was wildly generous and it was filled with this uncalculated goodness and and, and this uproariously kind behavior. And I believe that as we get a hold of this, it promotes a new energy. A spring of life starts bursting out. Let Let me give three examples in the text. The first one, the take the person that has wronged you. What do you do? Our temptation is to hold on to the debt of that or to retaliate or to ignore that person instead of think of the very best thing that you could do for them and then go do it. Is that just crazy? It is crazy. We're called to this as the people of God. Number two, think carefully of what you would have a person do for you. This is the golden rule. What would you want? You're offended by this person. What do you tend to do? You tend to avoid. You tend to grumble. You tend to hold that grudge in your heart. What if you practice the golden rule and simply said, what would I want? And then go do it for them. Number three, consider those you want to avoid. You don't want to deal with them again. You say, I'm done with them. 
and those you want to, maybe just want to be nasty to them, then do the most generous thing you can imagine. You know that annoying coworker? Take them to lunch. Or on their birthday, don't just do a like on Facebook. Go to the store. Buy them a card. Write it out. Write out a blessing for their life. I don't think in this section Jesus is actually making a new set of do's and don'ts. He's teaching a different way to go about your life. And it's a much lighter way. It's a way that factors in God's goodness in the world. And God's generosity. He's generous to a fault. His mercy is immeasurable. He's everywhere with you. I mean, do you believe there is a way to face anything the world throws at you? Do you believe that you can live this type of life if you know and trust that there is an intelligence that exists? An intelligent one. I want you to hear this now. We can do this because we are His children. The energy of the Father, the Spirit of the Father, lives in us. And the instructions for getting out and staying out of the trap are about choosing the God you believe in once again. Now, we did a formal choosing of that God this morning as we sang the song that talked about the Trinity and it talked about the communion of, of the, the body of Christ. And we made a kind of a formal doctrinal song. But how about in terms of your relationships? Is that God at work? Not a distant God, not a judgy God, or a gloomy God, or a stingy God. Not even a God that's fair, but a God who rises above and provides a third way. This is the God that Jesus knew so perfectly. And, and, and the way forward is very, really, very straightforward. I don't know if we'll practice it. Sometimes I don't know that I see it a lot, even within, within the body. We get into grumbling, or we run away, or we do this, and we, we break off from relationship. But the way forward is, is, is straightforward. It is to forgive. It is to love. It is to act kindly. It is to pray. These are all right there in our text. We can't miss them. Let your enemies bring out the best in you. 
we read in the text about love, that will start with true forgiveness toward them. Pray, pray for your enemies. You will change and so will they. Offer acts of generous kindness. The message says if someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Now, just a couple weeks ago, Jeremy preached and he pointed out how the kingdom of God, the teaching of Jesus, is upside down. And again, we see it again in this text. Jesus consistently flips the script and he asks us to do the same to refuse to allow the schemer to play with your life. Now, when I was going, we were going through COVID, I have to admit, I became offended, it seemed daily. I was, I was, I was stuck in that box, man. People disagreed with everything. Now, I was less than a good leader to my staff. I think we're still trying to rebound from some of that. I felt the offenses of being ghosted by people that I thought I knew that never once even let me know they were leaving. And this happened again and again. It hurt I felt owed, I felt trapped in the darn box, and it is tough to practice what I am preaching. But for Jesus himself, the offenses, the traps, came from the beginning of his ministry and never stopped. From the moment of his baptism and those temptations to the cross, he continues this this exuberant, exuberant generosity toward others that he learns from his Father. And he initiates love and forgiveness and kindness. And And so it's because of that kind of not being caught in the trap that he could say when he is on the cross, he could utter that one phrase, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Here's the logic flow in the whole passage and the whole idea. Despite the relentless offenses Jesus received, he knew the unsurpassable love of the Father. And he lived with this exuberant generosity. And the kingdom of God is all about calling us into this dynamic life. Now verse 35 is important, and I want to invite Sam and Delaney to go on up and get 
get set and get ready for the baptism because Delaney is a perfect illustration of what verse 35 is, is saying. In our text, it says this. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Sons and daughters of the Most High. All of these calls, all of this, all of the imperatives of this passage are predicated on getting this root right. That it's by seeing all that we have received because of a merciful God that we can extend this kind of mercy. Verse 35, our passage would just be, it would just be too unreasonable. For us to even live this out if we didn't have at its root this truth that we have been giving the, given this kind of generosity from God. And therefore in return as God's people were being asked to give it to others. Here's the challenge for us this morning. We're going to pick back up on this passage next week. And, uh, but I, wanna, I want you to get out of the trap. I want you to not live in your offenses. It's not good for the other person. It's not good for you. It's not consistent with the nature of the Father. It's not the way life's been intended to live. So there's a challenge that is implicit with all of this, and I'm going to say it this way. Again and again, Choose to live your identity as children of the Most High. Because I believe the greater you know your identity and have this faith awareness, the easier it will be to close the gap so you do not fall in and take the bait. When the offense comes, there's no room because you know your identity. We get to choose in each moment. You can take the bait, you can stay trapped, or you can respond with this exuberant generosity that the whole passage is about. My prayer this morning and for this week is you'll choose the way of faith.